folks. Welcome to Time to Talk with Ros Thompson. Just had such a great hour chatting with Ros, who's a bachelor remedy practitioner and who specializes in working as well as with people with uh, dogs and cats and horses. And um, I've known Ros for years. We go back a long way uh, to kinesiology days and it was so good just chatting to her. So if you don't know what bachelor remedies are, or how we would use them with animals, then settle down, get yourself a cup of tea, and enjoy the next hour as I talk to Ros Thompson of Aspen Crest, all about bash flower remedies. Take care, stay safe, bye-bye. Hi Ros, welcome to Time to Talk with Les Graham. I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm all right, and it's lovely to be here. Gosh, how long have we known one another? <clears throat> Was it right? Okay, so we need to go back. So um, I met you when you had Moonbeam, your pony. Yep. And so, but then you came and trained to be a kinesiologist with me in two thousand and I did who because I had bought right. So I had bought in the sitting room when we were yes. Two, so, so was it 2002 or 2001 that I come out to see Moonbeam for you? Probably 2001. Wow. Yes. Wow, that's a long... God, that's nearly... Yes. Nearly 20 years ago. Good grief. Good grief. So, um, and, then, and then, if you please, this morning, up pops a photograph of... Little snippet. Little puppy dog six years ago. I know, my goodness. My goodness. Yeah. So, um, Ros, what I'd like to do is just because it's primarily the dog folk who are listening, although other people listen as well. Um, I'd like to talk to you about your dog, and then I'd like to talk to you about um, how you got into complementary therapies, because you're a complementary therapist, which is awesome. Yep. You had a golden retriever when you met, didn't you? Oh, you did. Okay, did. So how long have you had goldies, and why golden retrievers? We had a golden retriever because we had one for two weeks while some friends were going away and we really enjoyed the experience and hubby had always liked the golden retrievers and we, I, I rang the Labrador Rescue Trust and said we would be interested in having a dog and they came and they vetted us. I not told you the story when we had three monstrous dogs rampaging through our house well they vet they vet you i mean it's hilarious they come and they vet you mm-hmm. and you're not expecting it you know that they're coming but you don't know when they're coming or what they're coming with they just turn up so they turn up huh. but you open the door and these three dogs went charging straight past me labradors yes agree. chocolate a black and a golden one and they went straight out into the garden. Fortunately, David was out in the garden because I thought, all over the garden, David's going to go mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why we did it. Well, probably, but nothing happened, of course, because if there was anything to go mad about, David would have done that in the garden. Uh-huh. Anyway, they came back in the house. They interviewed us, interrogated us, interviewed us, whatever. It was great. And then they said, well, you're being quite specific about the dogs that you want. So I think it might be sort of at least six months because we didn't want a puppy. We were quite happy to have an older dog because that suited us. And it didn't, 
we weren't worried about sort of the additional expense that comes with an older dog, etc., etc. Three weeks later, the phone rang. We've got a dog we thought you might like to come and see. Okay, right. Dum de dum, Buster, seven year old, golden retriever, beautiful, but very, very, very underweight. Sadly, he was a divorce remnant. Neither of the couple could decide who wanted the dog and who was going to have the dog, so they basically decided that nobody would have him. Oh. Yes. So he went off to foster home, but he'd been fed on scraps off the table. So as opposed to the 40 kilos he should have weighed, he weighed 25. Oh, my God, that's hideous. It was. Yes, it was a really pitiful sight. But he was beautiful. He really was absolutely When did you get um, um, You've got me going now. When did you get them? Because I met you in 2001 and he was gorgeous. Well, yeah, how long did he have he was probably it? 2000. I think we'd only had him about a year. Mm. He died. Uh, let's work this out. We would have had him probably 2000. 99, 2000, something like that, because he died when he was 14. So we had him seven years. And he died. Yeah, he died in 2009. Mm-hmm. So, but he, the bit that shocked us, we went and saw him in the foster home and thought, absolutely fell in love with him. And they said, Well, you're going to take him now? I went, What? Well, haven't got anything. So, sorry hadn't got so much as a lead by then because we thought it was going to take six months of course we spent the weekend running around trying to get everything and he became a part of the family (laughs) yes exactly um yes and i saw in my pie in the sky attitude i thought well this would be lovely i can take the horse out for a walk with a lenny and take the dog as well that was fine but the horse didn't like the dog Ah, they didn't get on. Well, Moonbeam was centre of attention because he'd been part of our life for so long. He just thought, actually, I don't want him. He's detracting from my attention. So, but the dog was fine. Buster was absolutely fine. But Uh uh, Moonbeam didn't quite fancy the dog. So, So, yes, the dog came into our lives. And I got into holistic therapies in 2000. And I went to college to study pottery oh that's on my list to do (laughs) right this might put you off but anyway Uh, (laughs) i decided i decided i wanted to do something to chill out Uh all right i've got a full-time job yeah precisely (laughs) me chill out they don't go the two go go in the same sentence but i thought i'd go and do something really really different so off I trotted to this pottery class thinking it would be a piece of cake and the ideas would come and I'd do something and all the rest of it. No, absolutely no chance. I sat there while other people made the most beautiful ceramic plates, beautiful teapots, vases, crockery, etc., etc. And it was as much as I could do to put a vase together and a mug. Both of which were like that and both of which <laughs> leaked. And the lecturer said to me, um, when did you last use the creative side of your mind, Ros? And I went, I don't know, when I was at school, probably. Well, when was that? I said a very long time ago. <laughs> said, might I suggest you consider doing something else? I said, are you throwing me out? He said, no. He said, but I'm just suggesting that you might not waste your time sitting here doing 
stressing yourself out. Wow. So, yes. And the next thing I saw further down the corridor was a room for reflexology and Indian head massage. And I thought, right, that's it. Wow. So I'm going to do that. Did you think, because whenever you think of pottery, certainly whenever I think of pottery, I think of ghosts, you know, with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore and the whole yeah, romantic, I just hands. Yes, <laughs> yes, I just wanted to do something using my hands. Mm. I wanted to feel as if I create, could create something. Yeah. I wanted to give myself that feel-good factor. Yeah. And yeah. have something to look at afterwards. But at the same time, I didn't want to have to use too much of this because I wanted to give that a break, really. Yeah. So, yes, reflexology and Indian head massage. I did those both courses in the same year. Uh-huh. Loved it. Had some very interesting experiences while I was doing it. Um, also started Reiki with a Reiki master in the village where we lived. Had some really weird experiences there. Oh, Reiki's a bit wacky at times, isn't it? Just well, it, well I'm a, I mean, as you know, but I don't think anybody else knows, I'm a Reiki master and I was a, yeah. been a Reiki master since 99. So yeah. before it became yeah. fashionable, really. Yeah. Yeah, well, this was 2001 when yeah. I did my Reiki. And I went and had a chat with her one day and she said, well, she said, well, you could do your reflexology and I could be one of your case studies for your reflexology. I said, well, that would be lovely. Thank okay. you very much. So I'm doing her feet and as I'm doing her feet, she goes to sleep and she starts to talk in the voice of a man. Oh, Craigie, okay. Okay, fine, right. <laughs> we went down that road, but we got through that and that was that. But that was my start of the introduction to complementary therapy. Mm. Then we had the situation with the pony, whereas my daughter was starting to learn to ride fallen in love with a beautiful pony by the name of Moonbeam who was headstrong and feisty to the point where it hurt and I needed to get some help and all the stuff I knew you came and saw him lovely pony but it was a death wish waiting to happen mm. and I went and had a chat with a lady in the village having talked to some friends and they said go and speak to this lady in the village and I can still remember her name to this day Pat Onions her name was and I sat in her house for about an hour and a half talking about the pony and she gave me these wonderful remedies. She gave me a little brown bottle just like that. And I thought, okay, hour and a half's conversation. That's what I come out with. <laughs> I can't remember what I paid her, but I did. And I thought, okay, I'll go away. Four drops, four times a day on carrot or in his feed. Well, I knew it wasn't going to happen in his feed because he shared his feed with the world. But we decided we'd go with eight and eight because I couldn't go up there four times a day. No, no. Because that wasn't going to work. So we had eight drops, morning and evening. And I thought, will it work? Give it a go. I was a little bit sceptical, but only a little bit. So three days later, he stopped the habit that we'd bought the remedies for. What he was prone to doing was virtually cantering to the gate in the morning when you went to put him out. And then as you opened the gate, he would just charge through the gate mm -hmm. and run to the other end of the field. And invariably, he would run with the lead collar loose because mm -hmm. he would snatch it out of your hand. 
So unless you could get the lead collar into such a position, you could let one bit go and let it run through the head collar. Mm-hmm. That was fun. But of course, Lenny was eight at the time. Wow. And that was all a little bit difficult. Yeah. So, yes, three days later. It's amazing, he's... isn't it? Yeah, I love it. And I thought, hmm. And the next day, still nothing. And the next day, still nothing. He died three years ago this July, just gone. Three years already? Yeah. And he never repeated that exercise ever again. And, was, and I just thought to myself, at the time, I thought, this cannot be a placebo effect because it's an animal. I'm not imagining this. He didn't know what I was giving him. He didn't even know it was there. He just knew he was getting a piece of carrot. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that I had to do something with this. So off I trotted, went to college, studied for a year at the college, did an introductory course, which is how you come into it. About 18 months later, I did the Bachelor Remedy course up at Wallingsford in Oxfordshire at Dr. Batch. Yeah. His old house and home and where the Batch Centre still is. And then in 2013, I became a practitioner. The interim period, the practitioner's course was actually quite expensive. And you kind of had to think about it seriously before you became a practitioner as to whether or not you're actually going to get your money back. Yeah. And I wasn't ready to go full into holistics. I still had a full-time job and still wanted to do that. But I could use the remedies, for instance, with the kinesiology when I did that, for muscle testing. I could use the remedies with Reiki clients and that sort of thing. So I was still able to do it, but I wasn't able to do a full-blown consultation. So, yes, I then went and did the consultation and the practitioner's course and came away and passed it a year later. So that was 2014. Lockdown comes, 2020, wind the clock forward. And I've been practicing. I've been working with a variety of cases, some dogs. My first animal case was a gun dog. But when the gun came out and the owner decided he was going shooting, the dog sat in the cupboard under the stairs. Mm. He didn't like the gun. Didn't like the bang. And it was the bangs he really couldn't cope with. Mm-hmm. So I made up some remedies. He had the remedies. And he was fine. Two months later, he was absolutely fine. Then I did fear of flying for humans. That turned out to be a long protracted case because there was a certain amount of abuse and difficult things in there. And I dabbled with the dogs and dabbled with the humans up until 2020 when I was furloughed. And I realized that I really needed to do this on a full-time basis because I now had the opportunity because I didn't have a job to do. I had no excuse. Go bite the bullet and get on with it. So that was me, really. Um, All our dogs have had them. Buster had the remedies. Snoopy's had the remedies. Our current dog. My daughter's dog, he's had the remedies. Um, He's a cockapoo. And my daughter had a baby about a year ago. And he really needed some help adjusting to it because he'd been my daughter's baby. And now my daughter had another baby. And that wasn't, we didn't think, going to quite mix. As it happens, 
he's been an absolute joy and he's probably much better behaved than our dog <gasps> terriers don't like babies the dog we'll get used to them mm. I'm very he's... much it's the dog the dog's the dog um mm. Craig, you skipped through a whole load of stuff there Ross. so um I mean, I use bachelor remedies for years as a kinesiologist, as you know. So uh, I love them. I think they're amazing. I've got, I've got the next door in the spare room and I still use them. So do you want to say what bachelor remedies are? Because we're talking about them. And then we can talk about kinesiology as well. So what are bachelor remedies? And um, it's so good hearing you because we were, we were taught when I learned batch that it's batch, it's not bark. And it's you still hear batch. and bark flower remedies, but it's not a batch, it's batch flower remedies. And I think people think I think people used to think it was because I was a Geordie, I'd say batch instead of bark. <laughs> no, it's batch. So um batch flower remedies. What are they? What are they? Well, most people will have seen the little yellow box in a complimentary therapy shop, health food shop, boot, oh, the rescue remedy. Tesco's. Yeah, Tesco's as there now. It's everywhere apparently. I understand, but I don't get any. I don't go that far. So, yes, um, little yellow box with the rescue remedy, and seventy-five percent of the population, I suppose, have used rescue remedy at some point in time of their lives. Driving tests, exams, dentists, that sort of scenario. There are five batch flower remedies within the rescue remedy. Mm -hmm. There are thirty-eight remedies in total. And each one deals with a specific negative emotion. Mm -hmm. And I have the pleasure as a practitioner, and this is where it improved for me, having done my level two, when I was able to use them as you do, with muscle tasting and that sort of thing. When you become a practitioner, you do a counselling course and a practitioner's course, and you do a lot more. You're then able to talk to your clients and to establish which ones they need to help turn the negative emotion into a positive. Um, each one of the remedies is made as the name says really it's, they're all made from flowers trees, shrubs but the flowers are used and it is specifically the flowers that are used I've not long done a course with a botanist mm -hmm. who is also a batch flower practitioner and she talked to us about the flowers and the plants and how they grow and when they're done Wow. And then, yeah, and then I spent an hour and a half one afternoon listening to a chap who actually makes the remedies and how the remedies are made. And the, each remedy, the flowers are picked at their optimum time of the year. Now, that with climate change is altering. Each remedy without the 38, with the exception of olive and vine, comes from the UK. Oh, okay. The majority of the remedies are made with flowers picked from plants and trees in the vicinity of the batch centre in Wallingford. Sometimes they go further afield, but they might, for instance, for heather, go somewhere up into the mountains to find the real heather and the right type of thing and the gorse and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the flowers have to be picked when they're at their best. Mm -hmm. So they're gently picked when the plant, the flower is at its best, but also when the weather is right. 
-hmm. It can't be too cold. It can't be too hot. Because obviously there's a time when the collector is collecting the flowers. They don't want the flowers to suffer after they've been taken off the plant. Each flower, selection of flowers is then taken back to the centre or somewhere where they can be worked on because you have to take the very fresh flowers and they are either then soaked in distilled water and left in the sun and some of the remedies are and then the other remedies aren't soaked in the sun those remedies are then made by boiling them in water mm-hmm. and it's clear distilled water that they then boiled in so they're boiled in pure water um, and the tincture that remains is what is classed as the mother tincture the mother tincture is then preserved in alcohol. It has to be, otherwise it would spoil and it would ruin. And the mother tinctures are all then taken to Nelson's from the point of view of the batch remedies, that's where they're made. They're taken to Nelson's and taken to the factory in Wimbledon where they produce the products. So, and excuse me if I move out of the way, I'm just going to show you something. Okay. That's okay, I'm just moving a piece of irritating hair that's sticking out while you're doing that. <laughs> so, you straightened yourself out now. I've straightened myself out. Good. I'm all good. So, the batch then to produce the 38 wonderful remedies that I have here. Individual stock bottles, like the Mimulus, you probably can't see, I don't know, Zoom's not very kind. Sorry? You were a little bit too close to the camera. Pull back a bit. Yeah, okay, that's a bit better. Yes, that's made me worse. So that, for instance, has on the side of it a batch number, a B-A-T-C-H number, not the other batch, and an expiry date. But it also has a lot number, and it has an art number. Now, all of those numbers indicate something. I've been to to Nelson's in Wimbledon where they actually make these. And they take the mother tincture bottles in. And that tincture bottle will have a reference on it as to where the flowers were picked Mm -hmm. that went to make that particular batch of mother tincture. So that the numbers on this bottle will indicate to the people back at Nelson's if there was ever a problem with the remedy or we thought they weren't doing the job they're supposed to do, we can go back and we know exactly where they've come from. We can establish if there's a problem. So the tracking from that point of view is phenomenal. Obviously at the Nelson's, they then make, for instance, all the rescue remedy. They make the night rescue remedies we have now. um, Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. They add white chestnut to the standard. White chestnut being the one to stop the mind monkeys so that people can settle more easily and get some sleep. Um, They make the rescue remedy pastels, which are fantastic. Especially for Sorry? The chewing gum. They make the chewing gum as well. Yeah, they make the chewing gum. They make soothers for children as well. Teething pastels as well for babies when they're teething. Um... The pastels, an interesting little tip. If you want to have the pastels, it's absolutely fine. But if you buy a tin and you put it in a bag, put it into a plastic bag 
because the metal tin has got a push button cap. Yeah. You open that it opens with. And if you put it in a bag and chuck something heavy on the top of it, it when up. you get home, you'll find a bag full of pastels all stuck to the bottom. <laughs> so shove it in a separate plastic bag and comes open on its own accord. Brilliant. The thing that really struck me about bachelor remedies was, um, I'd, you know, I'd done all the training as a kinesiologist and then um, when I moved to New Zealand, it suddenly hit me because we had like loads and there was loads of uh, remedy flowers in my garden. You see, we had like all the, all the different remedies in there. And the one that really struck me is the agrimony, busy Lizzie. Yeah. Busy Lizzie. No, impatience. So impatience. Impatience. So we, you know, we moved in. I'd never had busy Lizzie's in the garden before. And the, no, it's, it's impatience or impatience? Impatience, yes. Impatience. So impatience is for people who can't sit still who are busy Lizzie. Patient, patient, yeah. Busy Lizzie's and, and mm -hmm. they're really impatient. They've got to get everything done now. And after like clearing the whole patch of Busy Lizzie's and what felt like two days later, the whole lot were back again. I just, it was just like this thunderbolt, you know, yeah. oh my God, that's, that is it you know the busy lizzie yeah, yeah that's um, what they're all about that's what it's about and the the remedy that's the remedy that you would give somebody um vibrationally to help with the busy 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 Absolutely. And the massive um aha moment for me you know and even though i'd done all this training like years before it was just that which really brought everything together for me in relation to bachelor remedies it's funny, isn't it? It's just that one thing. And then um, when you were the botanist, did you talk, did, you, did they go through the doctrine of signatures with you as well? Or did you do that on the bachelor remedies? No, I didn't do those at all. So, um, but what we did do, we talked about the various plant attributes in line with the actual remedies. Mm -hmm. One that stuck with me is aspen. Okay. And aspen in Canada is the whispering tree. And apparently an aspen tree, the leaves will move even on the stillest of days. So it's almost a bit weird. Uh -huh. So it's unknown. And aspen is all about the fear of the unknown. Oh, interesting. I just find, because I find, um, I know a lot of people will poo-poo bachelor remedies, but you know, vibrational medicine is an amazing thing. And um, I think when we trained in it, you know, I mean, I trained, I mean, I, I started Reiki in 97, became a Reiki master in 99, became a kinesiologist in 2001, and really ahead of the curve, whereas now um, complementary therapies and vibrational medicine is a lot. Um, it's not quite so much wacky hippie shit, is it? No, no, but more we were considered more. to be a bit woo-woo, weren't we then? <laughs> that was one word for it. <laughs> well, it was. We were a bit odd. We were a bit odd, we? whereas now, I mean, I, I find it quite funny. I was talking to um, talking to a vet who does uh, acupuncture and physio and stuff. And she showed, I was down for a coffee and she showed me one of the books. And, and she says, oh, yeah, this is real cutting-edge stuff. And this is really new stuff. And I looked at her and went, 
I was doing that 20 years ago. Yes. <laughs> you know, this is like, you know, doing polarity on a muscle she did on, I can remember doing polarity with loin beam. Yes, yes. But, you know, doing, doing polarity on a muscle to take it out of spasm yes. and allow the body just to, yeah. um, you know, find itself. Relax, yes, find itself. Yeah, find itself. And, um, but it is funny, isn't it? So, uh, vibrational medicine, Rose, how does it work? I'm putting you on the spot now. So oh, you are pushing me on the spot. Well, I can, I can say it if you like, but it's just... Go on then, will you say it? You say it. You'll probably say it better than I can. Well, Vashara um, is very much vibrational medicine and everything, I, I suppose, living with a physicist for 30 years has really helped because there you go. it's all about vibrations. And, so, um, and this is where Kenny's going to tell me that I've got this completely wrong. But everything vibrates at its own level. And, um, you, you know, everything vibrates. Us, the earth, yeah. uh, all different objects. Nothing is completely solid. It's all constantly vibrating and moving. And so if your vibration, if you need to change the vibration or you need to reset the vibration or have the vibration working in harmony, then you give it a vibration that will move it into that vibration as well. So for example, um, impatience, have I got that right? Empathians. Oh, I can never pronounce it. Busy Lizzie. Busy Lizzie. Empathians. If you like, busy, 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 busy. And then you bring the vibration of that in. It will help. Oh, that's okay. It'll help calm stuff down. And um, it's the same with like, you know, crystals. Crystals will always turn things into, it will, it will always turn things into a certain pattern. And that pattern's never chaos. It will always find a way of moving things vibrationally away from chaos into a set pattern, which is again, it's how the, the crystals work. But I just find it... Um, Amazing, you know, that that 2020, we're getting more and more um, in tune with ourselves and in tune with the earth, even as you've got like the big corporations who seem at times, you, you know, determined to actually wreck everything and pollute the earth. Here we are in 2020 talking on a podcast about dogs, about vibrational medicine and vibration and healing and I mean, it's, it's becoming so normal now, isn't it? Mm, it is, it is. And it's almost, yes, it's kind of every other person you talk to has experienced it. Yeah, which is awesome. And if they haven't talked to you and they haven't experienced it, they really do think that it just doesn't work mm. and they are very sceptical. Mm. I find that if somebody has kind of dabbled, they're more open if they've never had anything to do with anything like this, the shutters go down so to say. Yeah. My, my dad, who, well, you know, he, my dad, he was really sceptical. He was really against anything like this. And I remember taking him home one day and he was complaining about the sore arm. You know, the usual, oh, when I do that, it hurts. You just want to say, well, don't do that. But anyway, I didn't. I was quite... Um, Empathetic, I put my kinesiologist's head on and I did polarity work on his muscle. And he just looked at me and said, What have you done? What have you done? He's like, Well, you know, <laughs> I've got the magic touch. But you, you know, it was like that. He was very, very cynical and quite um, derogatory about it. Until did he, he ever accept it at all? 
Um, did my dad, dad, my dad didn't really accept anything. <laughs> he didn't. So um, he, he accepted that I did something and it worked. But I don't, I don't think he really accepted it. But, you know, I, I did. I knew what I did worked. So. Mm -hmm. Yes. I can remember I gave my remedies to my uncle, who, bless him, was um, a sterling fighter pilot in the war. Oh, wow. And he happened to mention to me one day about the remedies and about his nightmares. And he was suffering from a mild form of PTSD. Um, and these reoccurring nightmares. And I said to him, I'll make you up some remedies. And I gave them to him. And he had, I think he had three lots. And he just calmly said to me one day, he said, I said, how are they going? He said, he said, they've gone. He said, I don't know what you did. He said, but I don't get them anymore. And I thought, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to explain it to you. Because no. bless him at the time, he was in his late 70s and... Probably he would probably not have understood it even if I'd explained it to him, um, which is probably a bit of an assumption on my part. But anyway, so I just thought, well, let's just let him know that that little brown bottle happened to help him. So. Yeah. When you work with dogs, because um, when I used to do kinesiology on dogs, more more than horses, because I find because horses are in a stable or they're in a, in a field or away from the owner, they don't have quite the same energetic connection all of the time whereas with dogs because they're living kind of within your energy all of the time they pick up a lot of the stuff that humans going through um bless them they take a lot of our hassle don't they they take a lot of our uh, I'll, stuff I'll, off. I'll tell you something in a minute that'll make you laugh go on and so do you find when you work with dogs because what i used to find was i'd be you know balance on the dog and i'd be wearing our remedies for the dog and then i and then something would come up for the dog and I'd say something to the owner and they'd burst into tears and it's like, okay, so this remedy is actually for you and That's this it. for the dog. And so do you find that happening with the work that you do as well? Nine times out of ten, I end up treating both. Yeah. Cool. For instance, I mean, I did I did a put a, my rem, remedies up at a stand up at Goodwood near where we live and they have a dog show up there once a year. Had. Um, and I had a woman come up to me and she, bless her heart, you should never judge a book by its cover, but she was clearly quite hyper and quite hysterical. And she said, I cannot understand. She'd got this beautiful spaniel, absolutely stunning spaniel, but being dragged around, only a youngster, and just terrified of off the Richter scale, terrified. She said, I just don't know what to do with him. She said, every time I go out for walks, she said, he runs off. And I looked at her and I said, have you trained him recall? <laughs> oh, good girl, Ross. <laughs> I did pick up quite a few things from you, strangely enough. <laughs> I recall what you say to me on more occasions you know, I tell you. She said, well, she said, he does normally come. And I went, really? I said, and what do you do when he doesn't come back? I said, do you stand there quietly and just call him? Or do you run after him screaming, come back, come back? She said, well, I tend to have to run after him. And she said, invariably, I end up screaming and shouting at him. I said, why is he going to come back to you if you're running after him, screaming and shouting at him? I said, because he knows you're terrified. 
said, he's looking for somebody to be confident. And she looked at me quite seriously as if I'd got three heads. <laughs> I said, until you have the confidence to take your dog out and let it off the lead, knowing 100% that he is going to come back, no fail, you go out with him on a long lead. Well, that's no fun for him. I said, he doesn't want the fun bit running away from you because he's terrified. I said, he's quite happy on a long lead. I said, he can do all he needs. I said, it just takes a little work on your part, gathering the lead up, making sure he's okay and hasn't tangled himself in all sorts of unknown rubbish. Oh, oh, okay. And most of the dogs I treat, the owners have the remedy. Yeah. The dog has the remedy. Why not? As I said to them, your fear goes straight down that lead, straight into your poor dog's head. And the dog's looking at you and saying, well, if she's scared, what am I supposed to be? Yeah. She's supposed to be looking after me. My life depends on her and she's terrified. Absolutely. And I really like the rescue remedies chewing gum for that. So if I'm working with somebody who's got an aggressive dog, um, or they're frightened of their dog, you know, or they're frightened to walk their dog because they don't know what the dog's going to do when they see another dog, then um, generally I get them to munch on resting yeah. on the chewing gum because yeah. they're going to get nervous and they have like a good old chew and that would release the rescue remedy for them. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah. really yeah. great. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's, it's an interesting fact, but I find it also quite interesting when the owner's, try to fight the fact that it might partially be them to blame for their dog. But they, it isn't them knowingly to blame for the dog. I think that's the key. The owners just don't know, don't understand how this transfer of energy takes place between an owner and a dog. Yeah, I mean, on, um, I haven't got it with me. It's no good with one person anyway. But, you know, Pikachu, do you remember Pikachu from when I trained you as a kinesiologist? The gorgeous Pikachu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I and I tell you what, I had a Pikachu and I've lost it. Oh, and then no. I found it and it had died. Oh, no. Put your battery in it. There's a battery. Yes, I know. <laughs> oh, man. So I've got this little toy called Pikachu and um, it's an electric Pokemon. It goes back to when my son was little and there's a, it's a little circuit at the bottom. You put a finger on one little circuit thingy and then you put your finger on the other one and he goes, Pikachu. But um, you can actually transfer the energy around by getting people to hold the hand. So um, we all stood in a circle, didn't we? We stood in a circle. Well, I do it on the instructor course as well to demonstrate how important it is to have good energy when you're training the dog because how energy transfers from you to the dog either you know, not necessarily down the lead, but just touching or being Body. in the vicinity of each other. The, the energy will transfer. And I do it on the instructor course, on the FGI course. And we, we play with kinesiology and we play with energy. And I wow. get oh, yeah. Yeah. all of that. Yeah. It's so important. It's so underrated. But I also the dog think one. dogs smell that fear, don't they, as well? There is that thing about smelling fear. Smell of fear. They can smell changes in the blood chemistry. Yeah, yeah. what's coming off your skin and everything that's why they mm. can, you know detect cancer and mm. all mm. of that not the often and horses can do the same horses can do the same now common what is it common what it's called it's not flemishing where they bring the top lip up can you remember what that's called oh no i know what you mean yeah when they smell the air but they head up they can it, smell it all it yeah. looks like we always used to say when we're growing up that the horse is laughing because it's laughing like, yes yes 
and that's to do with the olfactory, isn't it? The olfactory. Yes, olfactory nerves. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it is amazing. So, are you treat many horses, Ross? Or is it just dogs you're working with at the minute? I don't do as many horses now as I did do because I've come out of the horse world. And right now, visiting a delivery yard is really, really difficult mm. with lockdown. They're being really, really strict. I used to go and help a girl write and do some lessons for her. I can't go up there now. So, yeah, it's minimum contact. So I don't do that. Bizarrely, I'll tell you what I'm, I'm doing a lot of, and that's cats. Oh, really? But, I mean, cats are so in tune with energy. But what I find really incredible is that they are also so independent. <laughs> but they have reacted. I have got cats that have reacted when, within two or three days to the remedies. And, I mean, feral cats was my first one. Two feral cats that had been adopted by somebody living in... They hadn't spoken to one another for five years. Wow. Within three days, they were sleeping on the same bed. That's awesome. It just, cha it just changes the energy, doesn't it? It just changes the vibration, changes the energy completely. Yeah. From my perspective, I think the biggest thing that I've found I'm dealing with is rescue dogs. Okay. There's a lot of These them. dogs have come back in, come into the country from Romania or Greece and they've done hours in the back of a van mm. and they have no idea what they're coming to, where they're going. And these people have seen these beautiful little puppies and three or four days later, they suddenly realize actually it's got two ears and a spiked tail and it's a demon in itself. And they say, well, it looked really sweet. I said, well, you have no idea where it's come from and what it's been through. And people just don't seem to take on board what they're dealing with. So the, rem the fear factor within these dogs is huge. Absolutely huge. I'm sure you and I had a conversation about a dog that I was working with. And this dog would actually only ever go out of the house at night. It was terrified of the daylight. It had to be carried out to go out to the loo during the day had to be fed practically by hand because the dog thought that someone was going to come and take the food and would just cower as soon as you went near it. I mean, it's just the pain on some of these dogs' faces, you can see. The majority of them actually turn out really, really well and they're really beautiful after them because they're loved so much. Sometimes almost too much. I, I, I think, yeah, I think the rescue dog, the first thing the rescue dog needs is leadership and then love. Yeah, yeah. they do. But they need guidance, but they're also petrified. They need comfort and leadership and help. Mm. My friend had a dog from Romania. It wouldn't get in the car. Yeah. And it would go around a car park on, she, on its haunches and right on its belly, mm. terrified. And I said to her, I said, four days in the back of the car, but five months old, not knowing where it's going, what's happening to it, being rattled around and bounced about, and probably sick as well. Not being able to get out and go to the loo with sort of excretion and everything else around. It's not fair. I wonder why it's terrified. Yeah, I mean, so I will, I will defend some of the rescue centres. I do bring them across. Some of them bring them across really well. 
I know they do, um, but some of them don't. Well, some of them don't, and some of them, and even, you, you know, when I brought Angus home with me from New Zealand, my golden retriever, um, he was a very different dog that I got off the plane than the dog that I put on it. Bought was fine. He was, you know, really confident. He got off the, got off the plane and went down to Jill who bred him. And he was like, oh, okay, I'm home. I know the smell of this place. Whereas Angus didn't. And thankfully, um, I said to my friend, when he, when he arrives, just don't fuss him. Leave Bart in the crate. Put Angus's lead on him and make him walk to heel. He knows how to walk to heel. And so we just wanted to get his brain in a situation that he knew and in, into in familiarity. And so I said, just walk him on a loose lead. And she did, and he was fine. Right up until I went to put him back in the car. So the three weeks he stayed with Jill was fine. And then I went to take him home. We found somewhere to live. And um, I went to put him in the car, and he was like, I'm not getting in the car. No way. And, and it took, I had to physically lift him up and put him in the car. He was a huge lump of a dog. And then he expressed his anal glands because he was so frightened. And so I had to do loads and loads of work with Angus. And I think he associated getting in the car with getting on the plane, with the fear, with the confinement in a small crate, everything. And so they might be treated really well coming over, but they are confined in the crate and they've got all of these smells and noises and movement that they're not associated with. And it can, it can unravel them. It can completely unravel the head. I think they've not only had possibly in some instances the bad treatment in the countries where they're rescued from, but they then that's compounded them by their experiences in the plane and it's all in the car. And it's of no fault of the people that are transporting them because they're doing the right thing for the dog. Sadly, Dogs are quite traumatised from time to time. They, they, they are, and, and I think people don't realise that. The, and I know people who've seen dogs, like they might have been to Greece and seen the dog and went, right, I want to take that dog back with me. And then they've left the dog in Greece and then two weeks or whatever, when the dog arrives, they, um, they found it's a very different dog. Because I was quite surprised. I mean, Angus was never bold, but I was very surprised at how traumatised he was when it was really? a really good carrier with them, you know. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is that I mean I've got one particular client who's got um, a Romanian sheepdog okay so one of the dogs that's actually sent out to act as a guard dog for the sheep protect the sheep from the wolves in Romania and in northern Greece as well so it's a big dog my goodness me he's a big dog um, I saw him, her, sorry, uh, for the first time three years ago. She was one of the first dogs that I ever treated. Okay. Right the way through. But I said to the owner, what we're looking at is calming her down, but not calming her spirit, because her spirit is her breed. Yeah. And you can't actually take that out of her, because that's what she's bred for. But the owner, unfortunately, was living in the countryside, literally miles from anywhere. There's three cottages in a row tacked onto the end of a farm. And her husband is one of the chief guys responsible for the farm. So there's farm animals around and there's noises. And then there's silence at night. And of course, this dog was 
smelling sheep a mile away and barking, trying to protect the sheep. And she said, I can't stop her from barking. Mm. I said, it's instinct for her. I said, I can't promise that the remedies are going to change her instinct. You need to work with her mm. and try and retrain her thoughts to something else. Um, it's worked mm. and we've got there, Brilliant. but it, sometimes it's people actually not realising the sort of dog that they've actually got. <laughs> I know. And the fact that these dogs, some of these dogs actually have got an inbred job in them. I mean, it's like when you get an Alsatian or a German Shepherd, you kind of know what you're getting, don't you? But some people just don't, weren't quite aware of what they've got. <laughs> it's like when people phone me up and say, I've got a Jack Russell. Okay, how can I help? I can't stop with barking. <laughs> yeah, you're They're right. Spread them to bark. <laughs> Where do you go? Where do you start? So, I mean, we've got Snoopy. I mean, he's part Chihuahua. Yeah, half Chihuahua. And they said, well, he yaps and he's a bit temperamental. I said, well, half of him was bred to hunt guinea pigs in Mexico. I said, so he's got a bit of a Mexican temper to him. So I said, we just leave him to it. <laughs> Just keep your guinea pigs out of the way. Exactly. <laughs> your small yeah. animals out of sight. So yeah. do you actually do um, hands-on with the dogs or do you do it? I, I mean, I know you can't at the minute because of, because of lockdown and everything and you'll, I take it you do everything over Zoom, but, you, you know, do you still do, you still do kinesiology? I mean, you're a kinesiologist. Do you still do kinesiology? I do a little bit. I do have to say, sadly, my kinesiology has gone a bit rusty. Um, probably more than a little bit, but I did do bless her heart. I did do a review with Sandy. Oh, gorgeous! Probably about five six years ago, and that helped. And I've used the kinesiology, but I do tend to go with conversation with the owners uh-huh. when lockdown, without lockdown, or pre-lockdown, or whatever that life was. Um, yes, I would always like to meet the dogs. Okay. Um, and because I actually think that seeing the dogs can actually tell me more than actually what the owners can tell me yeah because the owners will tell me their interpretation yeah my dog hates going to the vets how would he hate going to the vets when he actually doesn't know what the word hate means and you actually translate that actually my dog is quite frightened when he goes to the vets yeah because the vet picks him up and he doesn't know him from adam and the vet then sticks something up his bottom and it's cold and it hurts and then he sticks a needle in him he doesn't hate him he's just frightened mm. so they use the wrong language to, and it's with the best of intentions it, it it is and i say to the guys you know you're quoting house the the program house everybody lies but they don't do it intentionally it's just it's their perception it's their take on it isn't it and so i find but you see if somebody tells me that I then have to think, well, actually, do I need the remedy, Holly, which is for hatred and anger? Or do I need a remedy for fear, for aspirin, for fear of the unknown, or mimulus for fear of the known? Or do I need rock rose for terror? Mm -hmm. And I could give totally the wrong remedy. Yeah. And then I get, well, your remedies don't work. Mm -hmm. Would would you not... um would you not muscle test for the final remedies? Because I can't remember his name now. He was, I mean, you might know me, the Chichester vet. Um, Mark. Mark Elliott. Mark Elliott. Mark Elliott. Oh, my goodness. 
Well done. He's only over the road. Is he? Well, I took Bart to see him uh, in 2003 for homeopathic remedies. And um, we had a chat. And because at the time they were setting up the British Holistic Veterinary Medical Association, which I was one of the early members of. And I taught him how to do muscle testing. In, in the context of like, oh, because he, he was saying that you can generally get it down, you can really nail it down to like two remedies. Sometimes you might have three in there. And then it's like you have to then take an educated leap as to which one you take. And I said, oh, well, look, why don't you do this instead? So I, I showed him how to muscle test himself so he could get that final remedy. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did that with him. So... Is that not something you would do with your batch grower remedies? You don't muscle test the dog? No, I don't, because I can actually provide up to seven. Can you? Oh, of course you can, because you do the combinations, don't you? Because of the consultation process, we're able to provide up a blend of up to seven remedies. So I've actually muscle tested to actually establish, when I've been in a real quandary, <laughs> and I've kind of got to seven and I think there's an eighth, then I will look to muscle test to decide which I've got and which I haven't got. Uh -huh. Because there is such a fine line between the example of the fear of the known and fear of the unknown. Yeah. How do you decide in a dog? Is it something they know about or is it something they don't know about? And that's a tough one. The unknown very quickly becomes the known. Precisely. Exactly. And that's where you kind of go along the line. And you go, right, okay, right, we've got that. Well, is it anger? Is it irritation? Is it frustration? How, how big is this feeling? Yeah. And then I've muscle tested for that. Um, there's oak and olive. Um, I've used olive on a dog not so long ago that was incredibly subdued. And I said to the owner, how should you walk it? she said four or five times a day oh wow okay and I went what and she said yes four or five times a day and I said well why oh well that way he goes to sleep I said okay I said do you want him walking four or five times a day I said no said, no I said well why don't you give him a game to play out in the garden or get some games and different games that you can play with him hide some treats around and do his food differently and feed him over a different length. oh but I've got too many other things to do I said but you're going for a walk four or five times a day so make it mix it up this dog was absolutely exhausted okay. but I said where do you walk him oh around the roads so of course the dog's bored as well but it's the same path yeah. The same route. She might have done two different routes. And of course, the olive helped with the lack of energy. So it helped with the release, the monotony, and the tiredness. Because olive, for instance, has got this ability to provide a bit of revitalization. Now, I could have used oak, because oak is exhaustion, but struggling on. But the dog was clearly exhausted, but actually was too exhausted to struggle anyway. Just couldn't couldn't go on so she gave me olive and we were a little bit better um and then i found also that i use hornbeam that then brought the dog back as well but it's that sort of thing that you've got that fine line and that's when i will muscle test mm -hmm. 
especially in the very tragic situations, when you do get the situations with the rescues, and it's very complicated because there's no known history. Yeah, no history. Yeah. You're automatically using Star of Bethlehem uh-huh. for the shock and the trauma, and then using the walnut for the change and the sweet chestnut, and so you can go on. You can end up with having to rationalise between about 10 remedies for the time. Wow. Yeah. It works. It does work eventually. So, have you given up your um your other full time job and you're just doing one day a week? I do. That's great. One day a week is good to keep your hand in. So I don't even want to do that. <laughs> what are you are you Aspen Crest with the dogs and the horses? Aspen Crest with the dogs and the horses, horses, and then it's Ros Thompson remedies by Ros for people. How fantastic. And so people are really, really busy, as you can imagine. People are busy. I'm really busy with people. I'll tell you the other thing that's coming up at the moment for people to keep an eye on. Separation anxiety, please. Yeah, I know. I know. We're we're waiting for that when people go back. Um yeah. We are waiting for for the, the hate. So yeah. What would you recommend for separation anxiety before we we call it a day. What, what would I would recommend fear. I would recommend the mimulus, the walnut. I would put in the star of Bethlehem. I would also put red chestnut in. Red chestnut is for over concern for others. Okay. Um, and chicory, which is for possessiveness. Oh, I could do some chicken with the spud. He's a possessive little so and so. He is actually. He's terrible. Oh really? I might get my remedies out. Actually, you've got me thinking now. I was thinking, oh, I might get my remedies out and um, see. Chicory is brilliant for possessiveness. Is it? I might. I might. Um, I'm going to ask you when we say goodbye. I'm going to ask you about a little spud because he is so possessive, and I'm hoping to get a puppy. And the last thing I want is for him to take a you, you know snap at the pup over a toy. Um, because he does with Danny now and again. He'll is he quite dominant. Um, no, no, I wouldn't say he's very dominant. He's very, um, very possessive and uh, very jealous, more than dominant. He's he's a he, I think Holly, he's a Holly for jealousy, Holly for jealousy, uh-huh. and then chicory, and then the chicory. And I actually would put a bit of a vein in there, okay. The vein fall? Just kind of wanting to be top of the, the pile. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> yeah, I'm very competitive. Um, Roz, that was, that was, it was so good talking to you. It's been years since I've had a good chat. And so it was wonderful to catch up with you. And An hour, you, how about that? <laughs> I know. And thank you for your insights on Bachelor MDs and vibrational medicine. And, um, yeah, stay on. I'm going to say goodbye on the podcast, but stay on because I want to ask you about a couple of remedies, if that's okay. Thank you. Thank you. So, Roz, thank you very much. It's been such a joy talking to you again. It's been lovely to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care and have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you, and you. Yeah. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.